It's great to be uh, uh, down here at, uh, at Robinson. My name is George Stathius. If you haven't uh, met me, I'm a friend of Graham and Michelle, and I work uh, as a chaplain at Penrith uh, Anglican College, uh, 9 to 5. But I'm actually on long service leave at the moment, which has been uh, a lot of fun. I've actually painted the house. <laughs> I've painted the house inside and out. So. Um, I don't have any paint on me this morning, I don't think, but look, I might just pray for us as we look at God's word. Uh, Father, we do give thanks for this great opportunity uh, for us to be able to meet around your word, and we do pray that uh, as we uh, wrap up the book of Thessalonians, uh, that you be with me and enable uh, all of us to be able to actually uh, hear what your word has to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you would know that the book of 1 Thessalonians is about uh, a young church um, uh, and Paul uh, has got to leave quickly because of the issue of persecution uh, but as a result of that he actually writes this letter uh, to encourage uh, the believers in Thessaloniki uh, in Greece. When I was in year nine of high school the report, my half yearly report was sent home to my parents. Uh, my parents uh, opened up the report uh, they saw it, they asked me to come in and to talk to them and I walked in and chatted to them and they said these words to me. They said, George, things have got to change. They actually said it in Greek, not in English. Um, and they sat me down and in, in my report, A was the best mark you could get and it went from A, B, C, D, E, F stood for fail and I failed every subject. Uh, when I was in year nine of high school. And uh, my parents were, were worried. I had a brother and sister that did well in school. Uh, I wasn't uh, so much somebody that was uh, made for school back then. Um, I ended up leaving uh, in, in year 10 and doing an apprenticeship, which lots of people did. Who left to do a trade in year 10? Anybody? Yeah, see, yeah, we bring back the trade days. That's what I reckon. Um, <laughs> anyway, and I remember doing this, walking back, into Chatswood High after, after this was the start of term three, second semester, walked in and it was like it, this happened the other day. Uh, I was standing there with my group of friends and we were talking about holidays, how they were. I remember Zani Marillion was there, Ivo Strizic was there, Kira Rostiska was there, <laughs> Zadi Mavillian was there, and Greg Watson was there. Uh, and, and as Sepan, Sepan, he was like sort of like the spokesman uh, for our group. And he said, oh, how did everybody go in their reports? And I remember hands in the pockets, everybody was shuffling around, nobody gave eye contact. And Sepan sort of said, look at us. He said, look, look, look at one another. He said, we're pathetic. He said, we're pathetic. He was actually had to flee Iran under the Ayatollah. Uh, so he sort of had a really rough sort of background. And uh, he said, look at us. We're, we're, we're pathetic. We're pathetic. Look how bad we are at our influence on one another. And he sort of said, you know, we must be positive influencers. And he said, let's make a pact. From now on, we're going to be different at school. And he said, everybody put your right hand in. And I sort of like felt a, a foot taller just doing this. We all put our right hand in, in, in and hands on top of one another. And he said, from now on, no more getting into fights. And he went, no more fights. He said, from now on, no more talking back to teachers. No more talking back to teachers. No more swearing. No more swearing. Do our homework. 
do our own. And, and I, I remember the bell going. The bell going. I was walking into my first class, Chatswood High, year nine, second semester. I walked in and some kid said to me as I walked in, uh, how are your holidays, uh, Georgia Wog? And I really took offence at that back then. I said, what did you say to me? He said, I said, George the Wog. And I can remember just getting this guy and pinning him against the blackboard, saying to him, take it back, take it back, and started shoving him against the blackboard. And then I remember looking to my right, and there was the teacher just standing there, and me sort of going. <laughs> <laughs> and the teacher just saying to me, just, just get out. And, and get out. Oh, sorry, I'm going to have to visualise this. I said there were doors here. Imagine this is the school door. The classroom's inside there. Long corridor, second story, chapter five. Long corridor. And there was me in my typical position, because I did spend lots of time outside. Two hands, two hands behind my bum, my, behind my bottom, and just leaning against the wall like this. And I looked, and I heard this pss, pss, pss. And I looked down, and all the way down to the end of the corridor, <laughs> was Sepan <laughs> the guy, The guy who initiated the pack, he was actually sent out before me. <laughs> and I'm sort of looking, I'm thinking, I got out pretty quickly, how did he get out so quickly? Anyway, we're sort of like, he looks at me and he says, you know what, if you want to check it out. And I said, oh, you know, there's someone called the war. I said, what did you do? And he said, I need someone with a chair. <laughs> And I, I like, and you know what, you know what is really, really awful? What was really, really awful was that we all got to recess and none of us made it. <laughs> none of us made it. And you know, like, you know, you, you look at life and you ask yourself this question. What is it that brings about genuine change? I know sometimes people get motivated and they want to do things or they go through uh, particular fads. Uh, there was me, a year nine boy, you know, sincere, wanting to bring about that change. But let me tell you, five years later, uh, I was introduced to the person of Jesus uh, at Christ Church uh, St Ives. And that's where I, where I actually led Graham uh, and Michelle uh, in youth group of those many, many years ago. Jesus was the person who actually brought about that genuine change uh, in our lives. And you know what, um, a couple of years ago, I lost contact with Sepan Katkudazade because his name got shortened to Stepanian. I used to be a Stothopoulos, then became a Stathias. And so, you know, we, we and, until my sister went to a school reunion and met Sepan's sister. And Sepan and I got back in contact with each other. And I still remember the look on Sepan's face when he heard that I'd actually become a Christian. And him saying to me, I thought you would have been the last person uh, in our group that would have sort of become religious, is what he sort of called it. But God is the person that brings about that genuine change. Look with me, please, uh, at Thessalonians chapter 1, uh, verse 3. And the Apostle Paul talks about change and the genuine change that comes about by the work of God. And he says this, he talks about that it was God who brought about that change. We continually remember you, uh, your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, your endurance inspired by hope. So in other words, 
the marks of a genuine Christian, the first thing Paul says, is, is that they had work produced by faith. Uh, they were obedient to God. God brought about this change in their lives. When they, at one stage, the Apostle Paul talks about later in this, in chapter 1, he talks about how they turned from idols to the true and living God. You know, they not only believed, but they showed it by their actions. They showed it by the fruit within their lives. Do you know there is a, a boy at the school that I teach, uh, a couple of, last term, uh, before I went on long service leave, he heard about Jesus came from a really, really atheistic sort of family. Uh, God opened up his heart. Um, pressure was put upon him by his family not to become a Christian. He became a Christian, gave his life to Jesus. His name is Curtis. Remember to pray for him. But do you know what's extraordinary about what happened to Curtis? One of his friends said to him in the playground, something has happened to you because you've stopped swearing. You know, it is the fruit um, it is the product of what God brings about in people's lives. And then the second thing he says is, is that he talks about labour prompted by love. In other words, they were other person-centred. They cared for each other. They cared for Paul. You know, it was great to hear those ladies share about scripture teaching and, and their motivation behind it. But I couldn't get over it. Am I right in saying Edna was her name? Edna, 80 years old. I mean, that is unbelievable in terms of just labour prompted by love. Do you know, my wife knows of a lady uh, um, uh, through her daughter who has fostered 80 children in her lifetime. I mean, that's got to be some sort of world record. But you know what? Nobody knows who this lady is. She does it out of her love for Jesus. And then the third thing that the Apostle Paul says is, is that they had endurance inspired by hope. In other words, they were waiting for Jesus to return. And that's one of the major themes of this particular letter. Are we looking forward to Jesus and his return? You know, I love the Olympic Games and in the midst of me painting uh, at home, uh, friends, I was painting with a roller or painting with a brush and then I would hear cheering and I would have to go... <laughs> with the paint dripping and sort of go... That time, that's incredible. That's, oh, yeah. And so often, you know, I would it's actually hitting the bed and hitting, <laughs> hitting cupboards as I was actually doing this. I spent more time actually cleaning the paint off than actually painting. But you know, in I, I love the Olympic Games. I love the, the the movement, and I followed it for many years. Do you know, in 1972, at the Olympic Games, the favourites for the 100 metres were two African Americans, Eddie Hart. Uh, and Ray Robinson. The two of them, uh, during the year, had actually broken each other's uh, world records. These guys had, like, electric speed. They were the Usain Bolt back then. Um, the morning of their race, these two guys became good friends. They, they shared accommodation with one another. Uh, the morning of the 100 metres, they had a bit of a slow morning. They woke up, they turned the television on, and do you know what they saw? The heats of the 100 metres, men's. They'd actually, the very thing that they'd actually trained for, they missed. I mean, talking about the issue of being ready, these guys might have been ready physically, but not ready in terms of their timing. Um, you know, quite, quite unbelievable. You spend 
your life. And I read their testimonies, um, interesting in preparing this sermon about what had happened. And one of them had sort of gotten over it, but the other one hadn't. Was emotionally shattered all his life about the fact that uh, they slept in too long. Um, but the Bible says that, that the Thessalonians were ready. They were waiting for Jesus. And this really just highlights the characteristic of, of the fruit within their lives. They were waiting for Jesus. And I want to say to us uh, this morning, are you looking forward to the return of Jesus? Are you excited about his return? It's great to see your vision statements here today. I think Graham said you only did that yesterday. You know, be committed uh, to these things. Uh, be ready. Uh, live as a congregation that's ready for Jesus and his return. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, I think that one of the key verses uh, in the entire book is verses 8 and 9. And let me read it to you just to remind you of it. He says this. He says, We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Do you know a brother and sister uh, in America were going through their recently deceased uh, parents' house. Uh, they cleared out the house. They heard there were some things in the attic. They went up in the attic. They cleared out that out. And they found, in particular while they were up there, they found a, a, a vase. And they thought, oh, is this worth anything? And they went and had it assessed and priced. And uh, at auction, it fetched $83 million. You know, you know, it's incredible, isn't it? You know, in life, one of the things that we don't do well is, is that we... We sometimes value the wrong sort of things. Uh, people will actually tell you in life, you know, value uh, achievements. Um, but the thing that the Bible says that we must value above everything is relationships. Uh, God has actually made us to be in relationship with people, to be in relationship with one another, to be in relationship with the living God. And notice when Paul talks about the Thessalonians, that these people had become so dear to them. You know, when Paul was torn away, only knowing these you know, young Christians for a short period of time, uh, torn away, and Paul is just overjoyed to be reconnected with them sometime uh, in the future. But shared experiences is what really brings us together. And it's interesting for the Thessalonians, the thing that they shared with the Apostle Paul was this. They actually shared persecution. That, that, that was their shared experience. Paul had been previously persecuted in cities as he preached the gospel. And now, Paul says of the Thessalonians that they themselves uh, were people that uh, had been persecuted by the people of Thessaloniki. And what's extraordinary is this, is, is that the Apostle Paul uh, says that they delighted to do these two things. And I want to encourage you to do these two things as well as a congregation. Is not only delight in telling people about Jesus, but be involved in the hearts and lives of people uh, that God brings into your midst. Whether it's your next door neighbours, uh, uh, people in the street. Uh, I heard the story uh, not long ago of Tim Winton famous Australian author about his conversion. I'm not quite sure what had happened to his father, but his father was incapacitated, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't walk. 
his mother wasn't um, strong enough to, to bathe her husband every day. And some man from a local church uh, went and knocked on their door one day and said, I'm here to bathe your husband. And he did that for the next two years. Uh, every day, without question, would just walk in and would just do it. You know, delight not only in sharing the gospel of Jesus, but delight in actually sharing your lives as well. But notice what Paul says when he talks about the gospel. He talks about the gospel of God. It's not something that I've made up or that Graham has made up or Richard Ross has made up. You know, it's something that God has actually uh, given to us uh, to be people that actually share in this great news. And so the Thessalonians were, t were, were, were these young Christians. And Paul talks, and I think this is a great summary in this section, in verse 20, where does your joy and your glory lie in life? What is it that, 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 your, that your life revolves around? What brings you happiness? Paul says this. He says, the thing that brings him joy above everything is what? In verse 20, he talks about that the Thessalonians are his glory, his hope, his joy. These are the things in which that he looks forward to actually being with, the people that he loves to be able to see. You know what, I guarantee you, 2,000 years ago, if they would have had fridges, the Apostle Paul would have had a picture of the Thessalonians on his fridge, um, you know, to be able to actually encourage them. And, you know, when somebody becomes a Christian, they live lives now to actually please God. And becoming a Christian changes everything in someone's life. And Paul talks about that, that the thing that... It, that the gospel not only affects your job, your home, your school, uh, your family life, but it even affects your sexuality. And Paul talks about how the Thessalonians needed to be instructed about how to live lives to actually please God, to avoid sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And he talks about these, these four things. He talks to the Thessalonians about, about turning round, about repenting. Have you seen that... Um, really powerful TV commercial. It was on a couple of years ago about a man um, um, who was looking down. It looked like a timeline, but in actual fact, it was actually um, like a tape measure. And as the man walked along the tape measure, he kept on getting more and more obese. And he gets almost with his daughter looking at him, and he says these words, he says, I've actually got to turn my life around. And he looks back to where he's his being and wants to turn his life around. You see, one of the key things that the scriptures says, when it talks about turning your life around, it uses that word repentance, uh, to turn. Uh, they not only turn from, from idols to the living God, but Paul is now actually saying to them, you must be people that actually uh, repent and turn to God in this matter. He talks about actually turning it down uh, in terms of, um, the promiscuity that people often sort of have in life, that as Christians, we, we don't need to live like that. Turn the whole thing down. This is going to be something, I think, really relevant for your night, night congregation as well. Uh, and then he talks about waiting your turn, uh, waiting for marriage. And then finally he sort of says in all this, uh, turn to God. God is able to heal. God is able to forgive in terms of the lives of people with what they do. And then he talks about the return of Jesus. And once again, this theme uh, 
of waiting for Jesus' return. You know, the Thessalonians, you know, they, they were confused because they had uh, people that had loved Jesus who had actually passed away. They weren't sure where they were, what happened to them, will they see them again, uh, had they missed the second coming. And it raises all these sorts of questions. And Paul says to them this, don't be ignorant. Don't be ignorant about these things. And sometimes in the Christian life, when it comes to heavy, meaty type issues, we can be a little ignorant. And I want to say to us, you know, as Christians, get stuck into the meat, as the Paul says. There are some times in our life when, we, when people come to faith and they're young as Christians like Curtis, you know, you feed them milk for a particular period of time. But in the end, the resurrection of Jesus and his death, Paul tells them what it is that they need to do. And he, and he sort of concludes this whole section uh, in chapter 5, verses 4 to 8, by saying to them uh, to be alert, uh, to stay awake. The return of Jesus should not actually uh, surprise us at all. Uh, the believer will not be robbed of salvation, whether they're awake or whether they're asleep. But he said, let's encourage each other, let's live lives that reflect that are ready. And I want to say to you guys, are you ready for Jesus' return? Live lives that are ready, that reflect being ready. I have spent uh, a month in long service leave as well, friends uh, in Fiji, and, uh, and I had an awesome time. I don't know whether I've told you, Graham. Um, when I was at the airport ready to come home, um, I bumped into the Fiji um, Sevens team. Uh, were at the airport, and I thought this is extraordinary uh, that they were just there as I was standing there. And uh, I, in Fiji, and the term for pastor is the word talatala. And unlike our sort of Australian sort of culture, where you know we think indifferently about you know ministers of the gospel, um, Fijians hold them in high regard. And I met this guy who towered above me. Um, um, I said to him. Your bull of anaka, which is hello, how are you in Fiji? And he looked, and it's not too often, you know, white people put a couple of words together in Fiji. And I said to him, I'm a talatala. And this guy actually says to everybody around all the other Fijian players, hey, this guy's a talatala. And they came over to me and they said, hey, talatala, can you pray for us? And so I kind of thought it was actually quite extraordinary in terms of just uh, meeting them. Um, in terms of their Christian faith. I'm not quite sure why I actually told you that story. I do now. Um, I do. Um, I know why I told you that story, to actually say to you this, that, that two students that were actually part of our group when we were in Fiji said this to me. One boy said to me, Sir, I need to really get serious about reading my Bible. I'm not serious enough. I'm too... It's, you know, I'll miss out for a couple of weeks and then read something and then just totally forget about it. And there was one girl who said this. She said, I'm actually dating a non-Christian and I've got to actually end this relationship. And as soon as she got home, she did. You know, it's a picture of leaving, living lives that are ready. Uh, are we ready for the return of Jesus? And then Paul, in the reading that we actually had today, says this talks about do we as Christians 
actually respect leaders? Uh, do we pray for leaders? Like we vote, did you have to vote down here, by the way, yesterday? We, well, we had to vote in the Blue Mountains, and I can remember it. It's easy to be indifferent. You know which ones you want, and people sort of give you everything. You kind of think, oh, I want that one, I want this one. Um, you know, you know whether, whether they're people that we like or not, you know, we must pray um, for our leaders. Uh, pray over the issue of, of elections. Um, and I want to conclude by saying this to us about the return of Jesus. Live as if Christ died yesterday, rose this morning, and he's coming back tomorrow. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. As Paul says um, in this letter, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only one who calls us is faithful and he will do it. Amen.